I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast, a podcast that's been called, quote, easily 10 times more useful than my MBA, which probably says more about higher education than our pod, but it was a nice review. We're going to start sending the pod along with some deeper content each week. So if you're a power listener of Idea to Startup, head to gettacklebox.beehive.com or the link in the show notes. Beehive is spelled a bit wildly. So it's gettacklebox.beehive.com. On to it. Today, we're going to talk about creativity, specifically how you can build a system to be more creative that'll lead directly to differentiated startup ideas, more effective product and marketing strategy, and a life more aligned with what interests you. And I get it. It's July. It's slow. Our numbers always slip in July. People are barbecuing and it's light out until nine o'clock and you get random days off work and there are lightning bugs. But something else funny happens in July. A bunch of people apply to join Tacklebox. And on the podcast, our total number of listeners go down, but the consumption rate, the average time people listen, goes up. The episode from two weeks ago on niches had a consumption rate over 100%, meaning on average, people listen to it more than once. If you're here, you're serious. You're motivated by something more important than fireworks or those sugar cookies with red, white, and blue frosting that have no branding but are somehow the same in every grocery store across America. Just random loose mystery cookies in a plastic container for $4.99. And they're delicious. I don't know where they're from or what's in them and neither do you, but we both know your startup's more important if you're listening to this right now. So since you're here and you're serious, I will be too. Let's talk through how you can build a creativity machine a system that helps you churn out unique, differentiated ideas. Since the episode is on creativity, we've got to address the 85% or so of people who have already dismissed themselves as, quote, not creative. These are usually the same people who believe creativity is some divine thing. It's an ability bestowed on a lucky few from above. Something the rest of us can't learn and can't develop. Luckily, that's not how it works at all. The reason most people think they aren't creative is because they misunderstand what creativity is. They think it's coming up with something completely new or original. This fuzzy definition of creativity is, of course, impossible to measure up to. New and original are both really hard. They don't happen much. And it's hard to wrap your arms around how you'd get better at new or original, or even what each is. There are no boundaries. But when you think of creativity correctly, it stops being fuzzy and starts becoming concrete. Creativity is just mushing things together that exist already, but in a way that no one's ever mushed before. Or maybe just mushing them for an audience that hasn't seen that particular mush before. If you're sick of me saying mush, I got bad news. It's just a lot of fun to say and kind of a perfect way to describe creativity. Mush. Mozart once said, I have never made the slightest effort to compose anything original because he understood creativity. People don't want something brand new. They want something that echoes a few things they already know about. And that's the only realistic way to make lots of quote new stuff. When you think about creativity that way, as not pulling something out of thin air, but as simply combining things you've already noticed, an equation emerges. It looks like this. Your capacity for creativity equals the total number of combinations of all the things you've noticed and can remember. And if you take that one step further, you realize why some people are better at the mushing than others and come off as creative. 
They simply remember more things or have noticed more things that are mushable. Your most creative and funniest friends are the ones that notice the most and remember the most. That is all. This allows them to connect things you weren't expecting them to connect and they come off as creative. Taking the final leap here, that means if you want to be more creative, you need to first notice more things and second, have a place for those things you've noticed to land because just hoping you're going to remember them and make connections with them is a terrible plan. Anecdotally, once you have a place to store all the things you notice, you'll start noticing way more things because the things you notice will finally have a job, a purpose, a place to live. You are capable of being wildly creative. The equation says so. And if you already think of yourself as creative, then whoa baby can you be more creative if you get yourself a system to store the things you notice so they don't take up all that space in your brain. Noticing, collecting, reflecting, and creating. That is the path we're on today. And we'll get to the details after a quick trip to Mount Kisco, New York in 2005. It is too early for jazz still. Gotta squeeze in a quick story first. It was the summer before my senior year in college and I was interning for my dad. Feel Good Inc. by the Gorillas was the number one song in America. It still holds up. And Sahara with Matthew McConaughey was apparently the number one movie. Can that be right? Sahara? Might have to double check chat GPT on that one. Anyway, my internship was loosely defined as marketing because my professional skill set was firmly defined as non-existent. My pay was significantly below minimum wage, and frankly, it deserved to be less. Each day, I'd come in and ask the very kind and hardworking head of marketing what I should do that day, and each day, she'd sigh and think up some sort of busy work for me to do. When I finished, I'd pop over to her desk and she'd sweetly say, that's all I got for you today, and she'd get back to her real work. The whole song and dance was done by about 9.30 each morning. My dad is a real first person in the office, last person to leave sort of guy, and he was my ride, so I found myself with a summer of 10-hour days with nothing to do and a Motorola razor that had no service. During one of the first 10-hour blocks, I was perusing ESPN.com to check the Yankee score, and I noticed a long-form article by a guy named Bill Simmons and thought, hey, I got time. I loved the article. I devoured it, and his archive was right there on the site. Years of writing three or four 3,500-word articles a week. I dove in. Simmons technically wrote sports articles, sort of, but really, they were meandering combinations. He'd compare the Knicks to the movie Jaws or describe how a pick-and-roll between Manu Ginobili and Tim Duncan was exactly like two characters on Law & Order SVU. He talked about his friends in their fantasy baseball league. He talked about his girlfriend. He wrote a devastating article about his dog dying that left me blubbering at my desk at lunchtime while everyone else in the office cheerily came back with Italian combos from Subway, and they were all immediately very confused. There was a Subway next door, and I got a tuna sub every day for about a month until the guy working there said, Hey, you seem like a nice guy. Don't get the tuna. Trust me. And from then on, it was a turkey club. Simmons wasn't a great sports analyst or a great pop culture or movie buff. He was, is, a good writer who combined things no one had thought to combine before. And he spoke directly to people that got the joke. If you didn't know obscure Jaws references, you weren't going to get his writing. But for the first time, I saw the magic if you did. When I was in on every one of his references, the writing felt irresistibly personal. It compelled me to reach out directly to him and tell him how much I enjoyed it. I wasn't the only one. 
Each week, he did a mailbag where he answered a selection of the thousands of reader emails he got on ESPN.com. It was just a marked departure from every other article on the site where the journalists clearly thought their job was to disappear, to describe the game and leave themselves out of it. I distinctly remember one article where Simmons was debating whether he'd want Zach from Saved by the Bell or Derek Jeter to date his theoretical future daughter, the type of thing that is totally overdone on the internet in 2023, but was unheard of in 2005. And I had the urge to catalog one of the paragraphs. I don't know why. I just had to. The joke was so clever. I was so jealous of it. I just needed to document it. I figured at some point, somewhere down the line, maybe it makes sense to remember it. So I opened an email, addressed it to myself, and sent the paragraph. I felt a rush. When I found something else I liked, I responded to that first email with the new quote. When there was a joke that compared, say, a character on the show 24 to a reliever on the Mets, I would immediately forward it to my friend who loved 24 in the Mets. The overlaps created something unique and specific I tripped over myself to share. I know now there is no better recipe for getting people to talk. Specific, unexpected, personal. It is a sharing cheat code. Soon, I was out of Simmons articles and I needed a new archive. After an hour or two of searching, I stumbled on a database of college commencement speeches. Hundreds of transcripts from dozens of schools. I've since found an even better database I'll link to in the show notes. I loved these. The speaker was always someone who'd been successful and was coming back to share what they'd wish they'd learned in college. They were simple, practical, and nearly always centered around understanding people and yourself. These weren't the work hard and you'll be fine speeches. These were lots of things in the world people say get you ahead actually don't. Here is something that will. An example comes from my favorite speech of all time, David Foster Wallace's 2005 commencement to Kenyon College, where he starts with this extraordinary quip. Greetings, parents, and congratulations to Kenyon's graduating class of 2005. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks at the other and goes, What the hell is water? He then spends 20 minutes talking about how hard it is to stay present. I think I emailed roughly 40% of that speech to myself to remember for something. Charlie Munger's The Psychology of Human Misjudgment, given to the graduating class at Harvard in 1995, described how the biggest mistake people make is looking to their left and right and trying to be smarter, when the far superior and more lucrative approach is to look to your left and right and try to be less dumb. I read these speeches like an archaeologist, hunting down passages like artifacts that I could collect. I loved it. I was building my own little library. Over the years, I've built out a system to make this easier, to collect, organize, reflect, and deploy these insights, to combine them to help people build products, to combine them to make interesting podcasts. So let's get to the system, because I think you guys, the July Warriors, will especially like it. And we'll do it after a little unseasonably warm jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at gettacklebox.com. Back to it. The system. 
Now, why the heck did I tell that long of a story about Bill Simmons? Admittedly, it was partially for the McConaughey Sahara joke, but mostly because of the creative combination. Simmons articles are an example of mushed creativity, of taking practices lots of people do, writing about pop culture, writing about their lives, writing long-form articles with humor, and applying them to a place where absolutely no one does those things, sports writing. His articles are also, coincidentally, the first time I felt the urge to catalog someone else's writing. It kicked off the database that I now call my commonplace book. I didn't know what I was doing or why, but the practices guided me to a career I love and I'm good at. If you're going to do anything even mildly unique with your life, there won't be a clear path when you start. And if you're trying to figure out what you enjoy doing, you're going to run into a bunch of artificial and social barriers. It's really hard to figure out what you like and what you're good at and what you want your life's work to be. There is also a ton of misdirection. We are a species that evolved by copying each other. If your buddy in the Serengeti started running because they thought they saw a lion, there wasn't a ton of evolutionary value to you second-guessing them. So, unclear path plus tons of pressure to stay on the clear path equals hard to find your way somewhere unique. The best approach I've found is to chase your genuine interests. I didn't know why I liked reading Bill Simmons or commencement speeches so much. I just knew that I did. And that led to reading about startups and marketing and behavioral economics and psychology. I was tickled by that stuff when it was done a specific way, when the writer was thoughtful and funny and entertaining, and I almost felt jealous that I hadn't written it. And since I was always in archaeologist mode, hunting out interesting paragraphs felt like I was beginning to build towards something. And when I read back through everything I'd saved, my brain started making connections left and right. This spread to startups doing interesting things and unique business models and people writing good cold emails and landing pages and on and on and on, things that I couldn't stop cataloging, stuff that got me interested. But it wasn't easy creating or sticking to this system, so let's help you build one. My system started, as I said, way back in 2005 by just emailing myself stuff in one giant thread, apparently while watching Sahara, which, if you're wondering, pulled in a paltry 38% on Rotten Tomatoes and was described as, quote, a mindless adventure flick with a preposterous plot. Anyway, those emails evolved into a Google Doc, which turned into what I have now, a structured Notion Doc titled My Commonplace Book. The doc is broken up into sections that have evolved as a reaction to the stuff I save. The current sections are inbox, startups I like, marketing I like, business models I like, writing I like, quotes I like, emails I like, broken into both cold emails and marketing emails, anecdotes to use, stories to tell, ambitious stuff, and then a big section for anything else interesting. Once enough stuff on a certain theme lands in that last section, I create a new folder for it. There are three pillars to my system, and feel free to sign up at gettacklebox.beehive.com, spelled B-E-E-H-I-I-V, to get an email with details on it. Part one is intake, part two is reflection, part three is output. The system doesn't work with all three, so let's get into them. First is intake. The key here is to remove friction. It needs to be comically easy for you to save something. You want it to be as easy as taking photos on your phone. I haven't really found a downside to saving too much stuff. It's always way better than too little. There are probably a few different places you're going to get inspiration from. My big ones are email, web browsing, social media, Kindle, videos, and just random thoughts. This is where Notion is key. 
You can set up keystrokes. I use Shift, Alt, and Spacebar to bring up what's called Notion Web Clipper and save whatever it is you're looking at at the time to Notion. You can find quick tutorials on how to set up keyboard shortcuts on YouTube, and you need to download the Chrome extension for it to work, but this is magical for me. If I'm reading an article and there's a quote I like, I hit Shift, Alt, Spacebar, and a little box pops up. I copy and paste the quote in the box, and it saves the URL and the quote in my Notion inbox page. For YouTube, you can save the video at the specific point you want to remember this way. The link will end up with a T equals in some number of seconds, so hit pause, then clip. The web clipper doesn't work for Kindle, so I use a tool called Readwise. This automatically saves my highlights, then once a week or so, I export them from Readwise to Notion through the export feature. Readwise is a great tool on its own. You can set up a weekly email digest from Readwise where it sends you a random compilation of highlights from books you've read. I adore this. The final hurdle is the toughest one. The random thoughts you're just going to have. You can pop these directly into Notion, but I usually just email them to myself and then manually put them into Notion while cleaning out my inbox. If I'm driving, I'll get my wife to take the note and email it to me or pull over and take the note. I keep a notepad next to my bed and a waterproof one in my shower. Never lose an interesting thought. You never know what you're missing, and the huge value here is keeping your mind clear. If you're trying to remember one thing, your mind isn't free to make other connections. Get everything out and cataloged quick. The next part of the system is reflection. Reflection is the sticky part of the process because it is easy to forget about. I've found a few ways to encourage it. First, the third part of the system, output, is a forcing function for me. I have to put out a podcast each week. That means I need material. So I cruise through my notes and I try to make connections. Second, when I have free time, like when I'm at a subway waiting for not a tuna sandwich, I scroll through my commonplace book in Notion. I have firmly replaced social media with that practice. Finally, I've set up a recurring email in Zapier that sends me random quotes and entries from the commonplace book twice a week. None of this is that hard to execute on. It took maybe 15 minutes to set up the Zap and the Notion web clipper. But if there isn't urgency, reflection can get swept away. So you need to build a system for it. My favorite forcing function, as I said, is the third part of the system, output. Basically, you need to use the stuff you've collected to create something. I use it to create a podcast. Maybe you will use it to start exploring startup ideas or start a YouTube channel or write a blog or a weekly newsletter. I don't actually think the output needs to be something you try to productize necessarily, just a way to exercise creating from all the stuff you've collected, a way to practice mushing and keep yourself on the hook. The point of the commonplace book is to be creative, to take stuff you're interested in and dive deeper on it in a way that makes you happy. That almost always includes creating something you're proud of, something hard and different to show yourself you can. I started this section by saying that everything interesting in life doesn't have a clear path to follow, so I'm not sure exactly where the commonplace book is going to get you. But as soon as you incentivize yourself to start noticing things, your creativity is going to flow. I've been reading a book called Ogilvy on Advertising, written by David Ogilvy, who you've almost certainly heard of. In it, he has a quote that I found absurdly accurate. He says, Stuff your conscious mind with information, then unhook your rational thought process. You can help this process by going for a long walk or taking a hot bath or by drinking half a pint of claret. 
Suddenly, if the telephone line from your unconscious is open, a big idea is going to well up within you. My process for writing the pod is to read through a ton of stuff in the commonplace book, then go for a walk with Rubes or go to the park with my wife and the little guy and let the unconscious work. Cram it with information, then let it go. At some point, the idea always comes. Creativity is not about divining up something original. It's about combining existing ideas in a unique way. By noticing and collecting a variety of ideas and observations and having a clear place to put them to spur yourself on to notice more, you'll be able to generate and develop differentiated ideas, stuff other people can't think of. Creativity is a simple equation. If you build a system for the inputs, you'll generate tons of ideas and opportunities and figure out what you're naturally interested and good at along the way. Mushing it all together. People don't do this. You probably won't either. People don't create systems that easily let them capture everything interesting they bump into each day. They don't reflect on those things and then use them as an anchor for what they want to work on in their lives. They don't break creativity down and realize how accessible it is. They don't purposefully catalog what's interesting to them so that they end up working on the right things. And most people don't end up anywhere interesting. Doesn't mean you have to be most people. Do the thing that's different to end up in the place that's different. The commonplace book, A System for Creativity, is a fantastic place to start. In the words of Matthew McConaughey in the 2005 classic Sahara, everything good that's ever happened to me has happened in the water. You probably don't need to save that quote. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, head to gettacklebox.com and apply. We'll get back to you in 72 hours and can be working on your idea by the weekend. Have a great week.